You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. It was, um, hope you ate a lot of food and got to see some family if you wanted to and all that kind of good stuff. I can tell you for me, um, and if you, um, I'm going to tell you a couple of things about myself this morning. One is that I don't like to miss a meal. I just don't. Just throwing it out there. As if you couldn't tell, I don't like to miss a meal. And so um, I've actually been, been trying to eat a little bit better over the course of the past several weeks and doing some exercise and getting back in the routine of all, all that kind of good stuff. And I'll tell you, I'm 37 years old. Um, and this Thanksgiving was the very first Thanksgiving in my entire life um, that I didn't get to just eat and divulge in all the food that was at the table. So I actually behaved very well, um, ate some pretty lean meats and didn't eat any sweets at all, and I love sweets, so, um, so y'all keep me in your prayers because I'm still regretting not just going after that table, so, um, but anyway, number two about Thanksgiving is how about the Cowboys? Pastor Randy already said it, whoop, whoop, how about them? I know we have more Cowboys fans than that. Today, we're preaching about the Cowboys, so hopefully you're Cowboys fans. So I, I, I'm not bold enough and brave enough to get up here and wear, like, my big star um, uh, Cowboys shirt, but I did wear the closest thing I had to it was like a gray and blue um, button down. I see Andy also wore his um, blue button down in honor of the Cowboys. So I'm excited about them. As Pastor Andy said, we're, um, and Justin as well, we're, we're, um, we're kicking off a series on Advent. And um, this week I have the honor and pleasure to talk to you guys about um, what that core topic is for week one, which is hope. And if I can give you a quick illustration of what hope is, um, you know, we have a very special prayer group that meets. It's a group of men that pray for the Cowboys. And we come up here on a, on a, a Saturday night, and we hang out, and we pray for their, for their victory. We pray, we pray for health. Um, we pray for the demise of the opponent. And then for the past several years, we've prayed that Pastor Andy would join the bandwagon and become a Cowboys fan. <laughs> and so a couple of years ago, I think Josh Osgood had given him a, a, a Cal Romo jersey. And um, for those of you who don't know, he wears it on Sundays when he watches the Cowboys. He loves the Cowboys. He loves Romo, and our prayers have, have been answered. So um, there is hope. In those hopeless situations, there is hope. But in all seriousness, today we're talking about Advent. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, let me give you a very quick, brief introduction of what Advent is. Um, Advent is something that's celebrated during the season um, by believers. Um, the, the word, the Latin word for Advent, where it comes from is Adventus, which means um, coming. And so we celebrate this really in two parts. One is the, the first coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus when he um, was planted into humanity with us, to walk with us, to be with us, to be a good example for us, to live a sinless, blameless life. Then to go to the cross, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have eternal relationship with the Father. That's the first part. The second part is the second coming of Christ. And when we talk about hope today, one of the main things we're going to look at is that, you know, that hope for us as believers is in the, is in the return of Jesus Christ. It's in the return that, that we know that the things that we're going through on this earth, for better or for worse, won't stack up to the eternity we'll spend in heaven with the Father when he comes back for us. It's hope in the return. It's redemption in the return of Jesus we're going to celebrate this over the course of the next four weeks, um, culminating up to the 23rd when we'll, um, we'll talk about love on that night when we have our candlelight service. 
um, when you look at Advent, it's really broken into four parts. You have hope, um, you have uh, peace, joy, and then love. And so again, today we're going to talk about hope. Let me read you guys something real quick. This is out of Luke 21, um, verses 25 to 28. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. And this is Luke talking about the second coming of Jesus. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will, will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So what we see here is, is um, this is Jesus, I'm sorry, is Jesus is telling us, look, in the end times, before I return to my second coming, you're going to know it. The things that are prophesied in my word are going to let you know that the time is coming near. And you're going to see the seas are going to be roaring, things are going to be crazy. And there's going to be a lot of people that are terrified. There's going to be a lot of people who are on this earth who are looking at the things that are happening around them, and they're going to find no hope in those situations. No hope. But what Jesus says is, <laughs> this is awesome. See, as believers, we're, we're given some, some privileged information. If you believe the word of God and what it says about us and what it says about Jesus, then you're given some privileged, privileged information. It's like going to take the, that, that crazy calculus test and, and um, you're handed the, the test key before you walk in and sit down. You're given privileged information. So what it says is that, look, while you're looking around you and you're seeing all this crazy stuff going down, you lift your heads... Stand up, look to me, and be, be glad that your redemption is drawing near. We're given privileged privilege information. I, I, I talk about the Cowboys. I am a, a diehard Cowboys fan. I love them for better or for worse. I'm also a, I am a, a huge um, Romo fan. I think that he is, um, I think he's great. Um, that's all for a whole other conversation. If you want to have it, let me know. Um, but Dak is pretty good too. But nonetheless, um, I... I, haven't, I probably haven't missed a Cowboys game as far as, I'm not saying watching it live, but I haven't not watched a Cowboys game in, in, in just several, several, several years. Probably something like 15 plus years, right? So um, because um, we love coming to church on Sunday mornings, a lot of times we don't get to watch the game live at home, right? And so um, I'm sure everyone has a DVR. So we put it on DVR, we record it. And so um, our family that goes and eats with, eats with us after church or we go eat with them, they'll tell you that I have a, a couple of requirements before we go eat, eat lunch after church. One is that you cannot speak about the score of the Cowboys game. You just can't do it. Some people like to watch it and look at their phone and see what's going on, um, keep up with the score. But for me, I enjoy the intensity and the anticipation of watching it live, of seeing what's happening and rooting them on when, it's, when, it's, when the game's actually going down, right? And so that's number one. Number two is we don't go to a restaurant where there's TVs that are playing the Cowboys game, right? Because I'm serious. I, I don't want to see it. I'm also involved in a couple of fantasy football leagues. I have a lot of friends that text me stuff throughout the games, throughout the week. And so a lot of times I'll even turn my phone off because I know that there's going to be a, just a, a mirage of, of text messages coming through. They're going to give me updates on the game and things of that nature. And so it's very important to me that I don't see what's happening during the game. Every once in a while, 
every once in a blue moon, we'll be at a restaurant, and maybe the game is on somewhere, and so I'll sit with my back to it, and someone at the table will say something about what the score is, or maybe I accidentally turn around, and I see, I see the score. Maybe someone here likes to tell me what the score is, and they, they know good and well I don't like to know what the score is. But what happens is I still go home and I watch the game, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching the game. I already know the score. I already know the Cowboys are winning at the beginning of the fourth quarter, 14 to 7, whatever the case may be. And I'm watching the game. And I'm getting through the first quarter, get to the kickoff, and I get in the second quarter. And then my emotions get wrapped up, wrapped up into it. And maybe the other team goes ahead by a touchdown or a field goal, and I'll get upset. I'll get upset like, oh, my goodness, come on now. Play defense. And then we'll come back and we'll score a touchdown and we'll go up by, by a few points. And then the other team will come back and they'll score a touchdown or get an interception when Tony was playing. <laughs> Dad didn't throw interceptions, man. I'll give him that. And that'll happen. I'll get all upset. And, and here's the thing. What's crazy is I get all worked up about what's happening in the game. Whenever in actuality, I already know the outcome. Someone already told me what the score was going to be. Someone already told me how the fourth quarter was going to begin or how the game was going to end. And so when I read this passage here, it makes me think about that. Like, we already know the result. We already know that our hope is in the redemption of the return of Jesus Christ. But yet I think also often, myself included, we go through this life riding the waves of, of, of emotion and riding the waves of being up and down with the things that are going on around us, whether it's things that are happening in our country or things that are happening overseas or things that are happening in our homes or our relationships. Yes, it's important to have the eyes and the hands of Jesus in those situations, but it's also important to know that Jesus tells you that as these things are going on, to stand up, lift your head up, and be excited about the redemption and the return of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's awesome. So, anyway. So that's our hope. Our hope is in the return. Our hope is in the expectation that he's going to return. Our hope is in the expectation that, that um, he has our cares and concerns in his thoughts right now. That the situations that we're going through, some of those hopeless, hopeless situations that he has our care and thoughts and that he's going to come back for us and that he's going to come back and he's going to plant his kingdom and he's going to rule forever and forevermore. That's awesome. We're going to look at a story today. Um, it's one that, that the majority of you are probably very familiar with. And it's a story of the, the adulterous woman who gets caught in the act of adultery and gets taken out into the, to the temple square to be stoned to death. And this is the one where, you know, it's, it's a lot of times when, when this, this story is spoke about in a message, it's spoke about in the context of forgiveness. That, hey, Jesus forgives, which is so important. It is so, so important. And we'll actually get to that in just a little bit. Or it's spoke about in the context of not judging other people. Right? We'll read about it where Jesus says that, look, you know, cast the first stone, Whoever hasn't sinned, go ahead and chunk it. So it's spoke about in the context of judgment, but today we're going to speak about it in the context of hope. And you don't have to give me a show of hands unless you just really want to. Is anyone in a hopeless situation? Like just a really, really, really hopeless situation. 
I think we heard Pastor Andy say it. You know, maybe there's, a, there's an illness that you have, um, something on your physical body that is ailing you, and then that you feel it's absolutely hopeless, that you've been given, um, you've been given information from your doctors, from the people who provide your health care, that, hey, it's hopeless. It's a hopeless situation. Again, maybe it's a relationship. You know, relationships are really important to me. They're really important. You know, you, a lot of times when I get up here and speak, you'll hear me talk about relationships and why it's critical for us to have good, healthy, God-centered relationships. And why it's also equally important that in addition to having those good, God-centered, healthy relationships, that we don't have unhealthy relationships. So maybe your, maybe your hopeless situation is a relationship. Maybe it's between you and your spouse. Maybe it's between you and your soon-to-be ex-spouse. Maybe between you and a child, you and a coworker, you and a family member, a friend, whoever the case may be. Maybe it's between a mother and a son, a, a, a father and a daughter. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus has plans for your hopeless situations. That Jesus wasn't just sent to go down the cross for us to have eternity with, with the Father, but he was also sent so that we can live in fullness of life here on earth. So that we can be a shining example of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You see, we're called to a task. That task is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then second, love your neighbor. To go out and make disciples of nations. But we can only do that if we have hope. Read you guys something again. We're looking at John 8, 2 through 6. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Who's read this before? Probably the, the vast majority of people. See, here's, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of reading. I'm just not. I like to read chapters and skip through books and all that kind of good stuff. But as far as like just sitting down and reading, that's just not my thing. My wife loves to read. She reads a lot, and, um, and it's awesome, and I wish that I could do that, but I can't. So, um, so when I read the Word of God, I have to do my best to really think it out in the way that it's, it happens in, in my mind and the illustrations. And so if I can walk you through the way that I see this, and you may have heard me explain it this way before, but um, at, when I think about a hopeless situation, I've been in a lot of hopeless situations. Just being honest, I have. I've shared a few of them with you before. I cannot fathom how hopeless of a situation this woman was in. So picture this, somewhat. This woman's committing adultery. You ever wonder where the man's at? Like why the woman's pulled out and the man's not pulled out? Just food for thought. So she's caught in the act of adultery. And in the old law, it was that if a woman was caught in adultery, that she was to be stoned to death. And so this woman's caught, and, it's, and it says she's caught in the act. So in my mind, I think that she's caught in the act. They find her. They go find the religious leader and say, hey, this woman, this woman, she just isn't given a name, but this woman 
was caught in adultery. And Moses' law says that she has to be stoned and killed. And so I picture this woman being dragged out of the house, pulled out to the temple court. Think about that. Pulled into the temple. Not pulled out into the street. It says she was pulled into the temple. And so she's pulled out, and I, just, I picture her laying on the ground, and then there's a group of, of religious leaders, of Pharisees, and, and religious teachers, and religious police, and they're standing around with a group of other people, I'm sure, because that was just the thing, is when you stone someone, back in the day, everyone came out to watch. That's still practice in some, some countries today. And so everyone comes out to the temple court to see this woman stoned to death. And so this woman, probably knowing what, what, what the, the Mosaic law said, she was in a very, very, very hopeless situation. I can tell you again, like I said, I face some crazy stuff. I'm sure that each and every one of you have as well. We all go through some trials and tribulations, but I cannot fathom being in the situation, the predicament this woman was in. I just can't. Like, if you really think about it, I just can't. awesome. Word of God is good. If you don't read it a lot, you probably should. Like, it's really, really, really good. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. You may have heard this before. You ever thought about what he's writing? So one, where was, where was the, the dude at? Number two, what was Jesus writing in the ground? I have my own theory, based on what we'll read here in a minute. Um, you have these people saying, stone this woman, because Moses' law says to. In a little bit, we hear Jesus say, whoever's cast the first stone, he stands up and writes and says, whoever, whoever is without sin and blameless, you cast the first stone. So what I think is Jesus has been down writing. I would have been down, but it's hard for me to get up. I know what you did. You guys standing around wanting to chunk these stones, don't forget who I am. I know what you've done. Maybe some of those, those accusers that committed adultery, I'm sure they had their own sin either way. And so in my mind, I think Jesus is writing down, hey, I know your sin. I know y'all sin too. I know you're out here wanting to cast a stone at this woman, but what do you do when no one's looking? We're going to look at four things that we can take from this story to help build up hope in us. Number one, this story teaches us that because, of, because Jesus is unpredictable, that we can have hope. It's important. Because Jesus is unpredictable, we can have hope. How often do you find yourself in that just hopeless situation where you see no way out. You see no way out. Imagine this woman being in the temple court, probably derobed, people standing around with stones in their hand, wanting to stone her. See, because here's the deal. If we served a super predictable God, then a lot of those situations where we see no hope, where we see no way out, there may be no way out. 
He's a, he's a very predict, unpredictable God that we serve. And that's, what's, that's one of the things that really just awes me about the Lord that we serve is, is he can take just really crazy situations that in our flesh, we can't fathom how they could work out in our favor and like that, turn them around. I think about when he healed the blind man as he went into the city and he, he spat in mud and like made a mud patty and slapped it on the guy's eye and healed the man of blindness. I know that he had the power to touch the man or to breathe on him and heal his blindness, but why did he choose to make a mud patty and put it on his eye? Because he's unpredictable. What that tells me is that regardless of the situation that I'm in, regardless of in my flesh how I see there's no possible way out, my unpredictable God has a way, that he has a plan. That's awesome. We operate in this, this a very natural realm, a very natural, normal realm. Jesus operates in the supernatural. And what's awesome about when he pulls us out of these hopeless situations is he invites us to join him in the supernatural. He invites you to step into that with him so he can pull you out of it. Number two, from the story, we can, we can hope because Jesus will meet you where you're at. Jesus will meet you where you're at. Man, that's good. That's really, 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 really good. We go back to John 8, 2. It says, at dawn, he went to the temple complex again. That's how this passage starts off. At dawn, he went back to the temple complex again. Here's why that's significant. See, Jesus had been preaching in the temple. Jesus' ministry had started, and he had spent a lot of time in the temple preaching about who he was, and that he was the Son of God, and that he was the Messiah. But with that preaching, he was faced with a ton of opposition. You see, when these Pharisees and religious leaders came out to, to, to stone this woman, they weren't just trying to uphold the law, they were trying to trap Jesus into either disobeying the Mosaic law or following through and then probably holding him accountable for putting a woman to death. They were trying to trap Jesus in a, in a very difficult situation. It's significant that Jesus made the decision to come back to the temple. Even after all the other things that he had faced, the persecution, the people who were trying to, to have him arrested and put to death, who were trying to call him a liar, accusing him of blasphemy, Jesus chose to go back to the temple complex. So I think about situations that I may be in, that, or you may be in, that are very dark, and in some very, very, very dark places. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a sin that you're walking in. That you feel like, my sin is so bad. My sin is so secretive. That I can never, never receive freedom for this sin and this bondage that I have because my place is too dark. 
Maybe that hopeless situation that you're in, in a relationship, is so bad. There have been so many wrongs done, maybe from both sides, to where you feel like, this place is so dark, I can't get freedom from this. But what's awesome is Jesus will meet you where you're at. It's not about who you are. It's about who you are as his child, but it's not about what you're, what you're able to do. It's not about your own power that pulls you out of those situations. In this story, I don't know that this woman was praying for a Savior. I don't know that she was asking for the Messiah to come back to the temple to come save her. It doesn't say that. But what I do know is he went back. He went back to the dark place that she was in and he took care of her and he saved her, he saved her life. It's awesome. Next. We have hope because Jesus wants to fight your battle. You know, we were listening, we were, listening, we were worshiping in a song um, uh, several minutes ago um, and it's, it's a newer song that we've been doing um, called, I assume the name is probably Champion, and it, and it um, would it be possible to get maybe the chorus of that up there? This is the Pharisees questioning Jesus about, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do? We had this woman that we caught in adultery, and you know what Moses' law says. What are you going to do? Jesus is writing in the ground. When they, when they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, this is awesome. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So you have this woman who was dragged out. She's in the temple court. We've gone through that. And I see Jesus standing beside her in front of her, and he's writing in the ground, and they're still asking Jesus, what are you going to do? And he stands up. And says, he's blameless, throw the first stone. He bends back down and he starts writing again. And then as he's writing, this woman is probably thinking like, oh my goodness, what is this crazy guy doing? Like he's going to be stoned with me. And then to her surprise, in this hopeless situation, she looks up and she sees these Pharisees and these religious leaders and the, the onlookers start to one by one walk away. One by one walk away. Talk about rising up some hope. To me, I think that's the moment where if, if I was her, where hope would start to rise inside me. I think about the champion. That's when I would start looking at my Jesus saying, man, he is my champion. He is so good. And these people, one by one, are walking away. Here's another thing that's really significant to me about the story. You know, the woman doesn't speak during this whole time. She's not asked a question by the, by the accusers. At this point, Jesus hasn't turned to her to ask her anything. She's not, we don't, we don't read in text that she's pleading for her life. We don't read in text that she's trying to pass the blame to the man or to someone else. All we know is that Jesus was standing as her shield, as her champion, and fighting her battle for her. How awesome is that? 
How awesome is that? How awesome is it to know that regardless of the situation that you're going through, regardless of that, that hopeless moment, how awesome, this doesn't sound crazy, but hear me, how awesome is it to know that there is nothing you can do to pull yourself out of it? To know that there is nothing that you can do to fix that situation. But on the flip side, that your faith in the Savior of our universe, the Savior of humanity, the Son of God, your faith in Jesus Christ is what will pull you out of it. And we see from here that even a woman who was committing adultery, who should have been stoned by the law, that Jesus cared enough to come to where she was, come back to the place where he was being persecuted, and to be her champion. And she didn't have to do anything for it. It's called grace. It's called grace. It's called, it's called God's grace. The final point. Justin, come back up if you don't mind, please. You would think the Cowboys were playing today, how quick we're out of here, but they're not. Our last point of the story. You can hope because Jesus brings grace and mercy. John 8, 10 through 11, as we close out the story, it says, Jesus straightened up and asked her. It's the first time the woman speaks. First time he speaks to her. Think about that. You're praying, you're hoping, maybe you're not praying and hoping, that God will pull you out of the situation. I, I, based off what we're about to read, I don't think that Jesus turned to her and said, hey, did you commit adultery? You did? Okay, sorry. And rolls out. I don't think Jesus says, hey, did you commit adultery? You did? Okay, watch what I'm about to do. I don't think he does that. Scripture doesn't tell us that. It says that he fought her battle. And then he turns and he says, Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, after he had already taken care of her situation, working, maybe in, in yours it's, it's working behind the scenes. He's already taken care of your situation. Because of your faith, you have hope. And because of your faith, you know that God is working for your good and you know that he's working in your situation. Hear me, God is working in your situation. And he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And for me, again, I, I just I really get into these, these stories when I read them. Like I can hear the woman's voice. Like it just falls on my ear. I can hear it. And I can hear the, um, the, the fear that she was probably in to the place where she has total hope. Because the Messiah, the Son of God, has just pulled her out of what I, what I deem is the most hopeless situation that I could possibly imagine. And she says, no one, sir. And then he says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. That's hope. That's hope regardless of the situation that you're in, regardless of what you're going through, no matter how hopeless it seems, that's hope. 
Jesus loves you. I don't, I don't, I don't, know, that, I don't know that we say that enough. Jesus loves you. You know, I'll, I'll meet people in, the, in a store or on the street or wherever the case may be, and, and I just feel the Spirit tell me to evangelize this person and tell them some good news about, about the gospel. And, and for some reason, one of the least frequent things that I tell someone is Jesus loves you. I tell them about our church. <laughs> I tell them where to look in the Bible. If I have an extra Bible, I'll, I'll give it to them. Hit them on the head with it, then give it to them. But one of the things that I don't tell people enough is that Jesus loves you. I'll tell you how I know. Because he loves me. And I'm not perfect. Never have been, never will be. And I've shared with you guys before, I've, I've been in some hopeless situations. And so I can tell you from experience, from testimony, that Jesus has come, met me where I'm at, given me hope, and became my champion. Will you let Jesus be your champion today? Think about that. Will you let Jesus be your champion today? Whatever that thing is that you're going through, will you let Jesus be your champion? Sammy, yeah, you know, don't you? Yeah, you do. Will you let Jesus be your champion today? I love Sammy. I really do. Sammy and his family are going through some tough things, man. They are. But I love Sam. He's a faithful man of God. And one thing that, that, in, that encourages me when I talk to you, Sammy, regardless of what's going on at home and what's happening, you always have hope. You always have hope. That's awesome. Good for you, man. Really good for you. I, I, I believe that, that yours and Amy's and your kids, y'all's best days are, are in store. And when I say best days, I'm not talking about health. I'm talking about your best days beyond health, where health is just a, just a distant, distant, distant past, fighting those things. You have great things in store for you. Your best days are ahead. Absolutely. Your kids are awesome. Your kids are awesome. They love the Lord, and you do a good job raising them. He gives you hope. Let me favor stand up real quick. Just want to pray for you guys real quick. Um. Hey, Sammy. Come pray for some people if you don't mind. You do that. Kim and Andy, you want to come pray? You don't get to do that a whole lot. Thank you. Kiki, will you go pray with Sammy? If you don't mind, please. Hey, if you want some prayer, go see Sammy. <laughs> Just telling you, go see him. Bow your heads real quick, please. If it's you and you're going through that hopeless situation, then and maybe your, maybe your situation isn't as dire as, as this woman who's about to be stoned. Maybe it's not. 
But regardless of what it is, regardless of what it is, I promise you that he has your care and concern in his heart. I promise you that he does. If you have something that you're going through and you just want some prayer, just I'm going to pray over you guys real quick. Do me a favor. Just slip your hand up real quick. Pray for you guys real quick. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And then afterwards, I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable to come forward and just receive some prayer. Just come receive some prayer, man. I'm telling you, that's, that's, that's what the body's all about. Come receive some prayer. Father God, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you so much for this day, Father. God, I tell you every time that I'm in your house, I thank you for the opportunity to be inside your house, Father, and just lift up your name and to worship you and to praise you, Father. Lord, to get to, get to hear your word, Father. God, I thank you for the fellowship that we have with, with other believers inside this house, God. Father, I will ask you that you will send non-believers to your house as well so they can hear the good news of who you are. Father, I ask you that right now, God, that your, your loving hand, Lord, will just, will just reach down and touch the people who need to feel your hope. Father, I'm asking you that you'll, that you'll just be the champion for everyone inside this room, Lord, that needs a champion right now, Father. Father, I just know that when you told this woman to go and sin no more, Lord, that, that, she, that she set her life out to be obedient to you, Lord, but also to go spread the good news about who you are and what you did for her life, Father. Father, give us those testimonies, God. I ask you to create those testimonies in the lives of the people who need it in this room today, Lord. Father, supernaturally, step in. Show us your, your, your wonder and your awe. Be as unpredictable as you want to be, Father. And be the champion in our situations. Father, you are so good. You are so, so, so good. You are so worthy of every, every note of praise that we sing to you, Father. Father, bless our people, Lord. Help us to bless you. Help us to be obedient to you, Lord, so that we hear your voice more clearly, Father, so we're more obedient to your spirit, God. Father, just give us your presence. Give us your eyes, Father. Give us your hands. Give us your feet, Lord. Most importantly, give us your heart, Lord. We love you. In your perfect name we pray. Amen. All right. If you want to get some prayer, please come forward and get prayer. Otherwise, you are dismissed. Don't forget about night of worship on Wednesday night. Thank you.